I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Cy Wilmore. This is the second series of The Journey Podcast, where we're speaking to the writers and photographers who contributed to issue two of Journey Magazine. And as such, I'm joined by Sue Watt, a freelance travel writer specializing in Africa, Nepal, wildlife conservation, and responsible tourism. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sue. How are you doing? You well? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you very much. Keeping well, although it feels a bit like the the you know the winter is coming should we use the phrase it's all a bit gray and a bit miserable up here in the Cotswolds today what about yourself where are you based yeah I'm in Surbiton just outside London and it's pretty much the same really. pretty much gray grim end of September weather yeah well hopefully we can lighten people's days with a with a jolly podcast on this miserable miserable day tell us a little bit about yourself Sue where, where you came from originally and how you got into travel writing and photography okay I was um I was born in the Midlands, but moved Whee. to <laughs> to Wolverhampton uh, Ooh, in Wolverhampton. So close. <laughs> and then I moved to Wales. Um, my parents moved when I was three, mm-hmm. and we moved to a very small village called Pennell, which is between Machynlleth and Aberdovey. Yep, just on the southern rim of Snowdonia. Beautiful. And this was like late sixties, and I was told much later we were the first English family to move into oh, wow. that area. Pioneers. And our school, our primary school, had the grand total of 23 children. So it was a bit of a culture shock for them and for us because there were four of us kids. And uh, yeah, so we, we kind of had to learn Welsh when we were there. And um, so in many ways, I probably feel more Welsh than English if I'm choosing a nation when it comes to the rugby and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, then I went to Cardiff to uni and I studied German. Wow. Mainly because it's my best subject at school. <laughs> That's what, what's, then, what everyone does, right? Then my first sort of proper job was with the Crown Prosecution Service in Cardiff, transferred to London, 
did an MBA and became a business manager of a barrister's chambers. Good Lord. So I have absolutely no experience or qualifications in journalism. <laughs> but an MBA is <laughs> pretty meaty qualification though, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, it's pretty tough, but I got it. Fantastic. Um, that was at Kingston Uni. Good Lord. So, so, yeah. we, so MBA, very, very established in the world of business, in the world of, of law, Crown, Crown Prosecution Service. It's a bit of a leap to become somebody who, you know, effectively writes about travel. How, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, I climbed Kilimanjaro in 2000. And um, that was my first time to Africa. And it just blew me away. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's a, it's a cliche that Kili changes lives but it certainly changed mine. Wow. <laughs> I just couldn't settle when we got back. And, you know, eventually 2003, I thought I'm done here. You know, I rented out the house and went traveling for a year. So it was a very belated gap year. Um, went to Nepal for three months and trekked around there, based ourselves in Kathmandu, which was great. And then I went around Africa for eight months. Wow. And, um, came back in between a little bit and then back to Africa again. So it wasn't solid eight months, but that was when my sort of curiosity about the continent really kicked in. And I, I just loved it, everything about it. I mean, it's, you know, of course it's not perfect. Nowhere is, it's a, there are so many facets to everything there, but you know, the wildlife, the landscapes, the mountains, um, the coastline, the people, it just, you know, it just made me want to keep going back for more. That's... And when when I got back, um, there was no way I could ever go and work in an office again. You know, um, <laughs> it would just have been impossible. <laughs> I thought, how can I change this? Um, I had a couple of temporary jobs. I worked for Comet Relief on their comms team wow. for a couple of campaigns. And I thought, you know, I really want to try this travel writing. When we'd been travel traveling, I'd been sending emails back. Blogging wasn't really a thing back then. So I sent some group emails and things. And unbeknown to me, they were being forwarded to people I didn't know. And I was getting oh, wow. emails back from strangers. Saying so you I were like an influencer before it, was, before it was a thing. Well, to a very tiny group of people. Maybe. Right, micro-influencer, that still works. So that absolutely right. works. So, um, and so that gave me the first inkling that maybe I could make something work yeah. around writing um so i started i did some of these short like six week courses that they run at places like city lit yeah. and queen mary's um and it was that sort of kick-started me really and i don't know if you know susan grossman she was doing the city lit courses i did a course with susan grossman in okay. fact yeah so I'm you'll know she's a very, fellow graduate yeah like she's very can-do sort of lady, isn't she? You know, very. She's positive. phenomenal, yeah. And um, one task she gave us was to make some business cards, go to the destinations travel show, and put yourself about. You know, in, in the nicest possible sense, and um, you know, to PRs or to tour operators. And fortunately for me, um, Travel Africa magazine had a stand there. There was a new editor, a guy called Matt Phillips. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, took a huge deep breath because I'm not the type really to push myself and just said, do you take freelancer work? 
And he was, yes, I do. So off the top of my head, I said, okay, so would you like a story about traveling across Lake Malawi on the Alala Ferry? And he said, that sounds great. Send it to me. I can't promise anything. But I hadn't told him I wasn't a writer, you know, that <laughs> this is my first ever piece. Fake it till you make it, I think and they exactly. say, right? <laughs> and he took it. And um, and that's how I got started, basically. Phenomenal. That, that's a hell of a story. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that a lot of people in, in journalism in general, and particularly in travel writing, we've kind of all fallen into it from all kinds of bizarre previous walks of life. I mean, I, I'm I'm an engineer by 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 definition mm. or by trade uh, by education, I should say. You're, I mean, an MBA with Crown Prosecution. That's very, uh, should we say, kind of a structured job, very established job. We've got people who have been, you know, all the way from kind of uh, local regional magazines working their way up, and then suddenly going, "Hang on, I'm going to dip straight across into into travel." Yeah. All the way from yeah, let's let's say people very very established in the world of business who have suddenly suddenly had maybe the light bulb moment you call it and it feels a bit like for you the light bulb moment was was climbing Killy perhaps we could go into into that a little bit more maybe you could share some of the the thoughts feelings sights sounds smells of that first summit of Mount Kilimanjaro sure it was it was a tough climb um, of course yeah there were a group of 10 of us who were all friends and We'd spent a lot of time uh, weekends before then training and doing, you know, hills around the UK, but nothing really prepares you for um, <laughs> Killy. <laughs> you know, it looks like a gigantic molehill, I always say, but, you know, it's, and it doesn't need technical skills. So a lot of people underestimate it, but they it's don't actually... make mountains out of molehills. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. It's very early in the morning. Guys. I'm early. really sorry. It's okay though. <laughs> it wasn't okay so it was vile I apologize but sorry you were saying um yeah so it's I think it was a seven day eight day trek we did the Shira plateau route and um so you had time to acclimatize but you know it, it's you pass through so many different habitats so you start at rainforest and then um you eventually get up to alpine and then glaciers on the Amazing. top so you know it's um Every day is different and you you gradually, I wouldn't say you get used to the altitude. It's quite um, quite debilitating in a way. You, you sleep strangely. You have weird mm -hmm. dreams <laughs> and, um, and, you know, you, you have to drink a lot to sort of fight off the altitude sure. sickness that might come in. And uh, so constantly you're weeing a lot as well. <laughs> <laughs> so... so. <laughs> You know, you start losing your shyness you. about going around a corner for a wee, you know, just like, <laughs> it's quite a weird thing. <laughs> but the sight, when you get to the summit, so you start in the dark and it's just lit by stars, basically, the route. You've got this whole track of scree at the top. And then you start the, to see the glaciers and you don't need to walk on the glaciers. It's perfectly safe. And that's why it's a non-technical mountain. But um, it's just incredible, just as you as dawn rises and you're there looking out down onto Africa and, you know, Tanzania, and it's just the most amazing thing. Magical. So, yeah. And you just stand there and you think, my God, I can do this. What else can I do? You know, it's, <laughs> it, it does sort of fill you with a new kind of zest, I think. So, this was the uh, the opening of Pandora's box kind of moment, it sounds like, where yeah. you 
you know, I can never go back kind of thing once yeah. you've seen that once. I guess I was ripe for change anyway. I'd been mm-hmm. doing, you know, legal stuff for a long time in management and I was I was kind of getting tired of it. Of course. So sure. um that probably it was probably the icing on the cake doing Killian. It's just the final yes. yeah, I've got to do um, something. That's fantastic, Sue. So it sounds like, you know, you've had your 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 trek up Kilimanjaro, the light bulb moment, you've come back, you've taken some courses to get a, maybe a slightly more formal education around this this passion for journalism, let's say. And you've taken a big punt on Travel Africa magazine at Destinations Show. And they've taken this piece, which, you know, the, 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 that first commission is, is a, is a mm. beautiful feeling, right? Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about a kind of that, maybe that first commission, and then first kind of jobs in the industry, first pieces that you wrote, first uh, destinations that you visited. Sure. So I, it was quite weird because I hadn't really expected Matt to say, yes, he takes freelance work. So I hadn't really <laughs> got a subject planned. And I thought, well, the Alala Ferry is quite random. It's not something many people do. It's a local sure. ferry. Uh, and it takes five days to traverse the whole lake. So um, it, it, and it is such a, a full of life, full of local life. It is an amazing place. So I was glad I was able to come up with that one off the top mm. of my head <laughs> and yeah so I sent it in and he said you know no guarantees but he did run it um pretty quickly actually wow. and without changing very much which was nice. the result and um after that on the back of that I got a commission with the guardian which was to um, go on a cheetah conservation project in Namibia. Good Lord, straight in at the top, Namibia and the Guardian. It doesn't get better than that. That's amazing. No, it was it was lucky. It was, um, yeah, I, I'm thankful, and that was because I got the Travel Africa piece to show them. You know, um, then after that, I updated Footprint Guide to Tanzania. Um, we'd spent quite a lot of time in Tanzania when we when I was traveling, mm-hmm. so. Um, that it was an update of certain chapters, which I loved doing. It was hard work. Yeah, um, they are guidebook work. Yeah. It's a lot. People yeah. have this romance around guidebook writing. I'm not <laughs> sure it's terribly romantic, but um <laughs> and part of that contract was to do a couple of postcards from, you know, for the independent yep. small columns. So I did one on Matemwe Beach in Zanzibar, which I loved because it was at that part time anyway, still very much a locals beach. Sure. You know, you'd have the women cleaning it, clearing the um seaweed and harvesting it in the mornings. You'd have the kids playing on the <clears throat> on the beach after school. You'd have the fishermen going out in their dows in the evening. And so it was 24 hours on the Temwe beach was the first one I did. Really? And then the second one was just like half an hour in a dala dala, which are these really precarious rickety minibuses that they have and <laughs> fill to bursting and it was just what that journey was like not where we were going or anything it was just about the journey and then that led to more work for the independents so they're the, my kind of avenues that I went into travel writing with and um, because my first ones were Africa and I thought well you know this is what I know um often when you're pitching as you'll know the idea is well why are you the best person to write this story and you know like many travel writers I suffer from imposter syndrome and and I'd be like such a thing such a thing imposter syndrome yeah sorry I'm not the best person to write about 
Spain or Portugal or, or anything like that, because there are plenty of others who are better than me, but I can possibly legitimately contribute to African stories because I know it better. So that's when I decided to focus on Africa. Fantastic. I think, you know, it's, it's absolutely fair to say that you're a kind of Africa wildlife and conservation specialist. And it sounds like you've very much been that since, you know, since day one of your travel writing career. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about maybe some favorite destinations within Africa or some favorite kind of trips or projects during your time working, working on the continent. Um, it's difficult to say favorite destinations because everywhere's got good. Of course, there, right? right? Yeah, it is always it's always one of these questions we get asked as travel writers, and it is always incredibly difficult to answer mm. it. So I've put you on the spot there. Absolutely. <laughs> how about how about some some specifically some trips or some projects that you've encountered that have been okay? Um, <clears throat> I've been lucky to work with some amazing conservation organisations. Um, I think one of the most memorable. There were a couple. Mm -hmm. um, one was elephant translocations in Malawi wow. with African parks. And on that trip, it was moving over a year, 250 elephants from one park to another. And we, I was there for the first day. And um, I was asked to monitor the breathing of an elephant that had oh, wow. uh, been darted. And I tell you, it was the longest 25 minutes of my life just <laughs> sitting there. You know, I was told, right, you can. Um, their regular breathing is six breaths a minute. If it falls before below four, they're in trouble. Wow. So I was there watching the second hand of my watch going round and round and round for ages. Um, and yeah, then the next day they were taken overnight and next morning we went to the new park and we actually saw them going out into their new home that whole herd so that was beautiful um, amazing and then the other most recently the um, rhino conservation trip that I did in Zimbabwe um, that was a really moving project as well it's um, very community focused it's with a company called Invelo um, the same company that I wrote journey piece for but a different um, and it's the first time that um, in Zim where rhinos have been allowed to go um, to be looked after on communal land instead of a national park or um, a game reserve and it's all about the community really it's a fascinating project um, the 30 local guys have been trained as scouts to British military standards, they are incredible Amazing. to see them. The school kids um, in the villages, they emulate them and they aspire to be, they're called Cobras, this community protection unit. You know, it's spread right across the whole community. The old, the elder, elders that I spoke to, the village headmen, are desperate to have the rhinos back because they used to be in this area 20 years ago, got poached out. Um, and it's better for tourism. Obviously, it attracts people and the communities will be getting um, a high percentage of the gate fees that the tourists pay to go and see the rhinos. Fantastic. So it's a win-win situation all around. And That's wonderful, Sue. Perhaps you could share a little bit about kind of where, where this project is based. This is with Invelo, right, folks? For, for those of you interested, Invelo is I-M-V-E-L-O, uh, and they have projects, a number of projects, actually. But this one particular, where, where was this based out of, Sue? So it it's in Zimbabwe. It borders Wange National Park, mm -hmm. 
um, an area called Ngamo and the Chilotso communal lands. And um, the rhinos came from Malilangwe, which is right down in the southeast yeah. of um, uh, Zimbabwe. And we traveled with them and the whole team from Malilangwe overnight, about 17 hours, I think it took, Good 500 Lord. miles. Um, and, you know, just to experience the work they do and the commitment they have was incredible so it wasn't just the community side it was the conservationist side as well and it just melted beautifully and um you know the, the project has its risks but everyone is positive about it yeah. and there will be more rhinos going it's mini sanctuary it's um the farmers gave up their land for the rhino conservation amazing and they're going to be more sanctuaries around the area eventually merging into one conservancy assuming this one goes okay so yes, it's a risk, but you know the commitment of the people there, the dedication, it it was absolutely inspiring. So, yeah. I can I can see I can actually kind of feel the uh, the yeah say the inspiration the the humblingness that's not a word humility <laughs> for for this incredible. I mean, we talk about the transformative power of travel all the time, folks, but this really feels like generationally <clears throat> important kind of kind of work being done it sounds absolutely phenomenal so yeah yeah it is and there are lots of companies in zim who do brilliant work like this perhaps not as um on the scale that this one was but there's a lot of the companies that work with conservation and communities over there um and you said earlier you know about my favorite place sure if i didn't if i couldn't say choose a favorite if i was asked okay you can only go back to one place where would it be then it would be hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fantastic. That's, um, yeah, that answers the question very, very, very nicely. To, to only have one particular favorite, I realize is, is almost a ridiculous question because quickly you know all of a sudden parts of the Cotswolds are becoming part of my favorite yeah but then parts of Malaysia are parts of my favorite as well and to even begin to compare and contrast these things feels uh, you know almost nonsensical right but it is the the experiences that you've had specific experiences I guess is the differentiator and it sounds like you've had some some really phenomenal experiences in this yeah. place wonderful um talking of africa of course uh, and talking of these wonderful projects done by Invalo, uh, <clears throat> excuse me you've also worked on uh you've worked a journey magazine issue too about the elephant express which is another similar project perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that 
Yeah, the Elephant Express is quite a quirky thing. Um, again, it was in Verlo, and they, um, their MD, uh, Mark Butcher, known mm -hmm. as Butch, he comes up with these quite inventive ideas to differentiate safaris, if you like, because, you know, they can be same old, same old. Sure. But he um, has always tried to make them look different. And the line, it's the railway line that um, should go or was originally planned to go from Cape to Cairo. Yeah. Um, it's a still functions as a railway line and it's a single carriage rail car that's done up for safaris. So it's your transfer into the national park and it's, it's a couple of hours, I guess. And, um, but you can stop on the way and it just, it's such fun. And, you know, it makes such a difference to do that. And then on the way back, you do it again then. But of course, all these sort of stories unroll and you see the animals as you're going along. And um, we went past Cecil's tree where meat was hung from there by the hunters that killed him. And um, perhaps you could, for those who aren't familiar, perhaps you could share a little bit with, with who Cecil was. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, Cecil, no worries. No worries um, at all. He was a very popular lion mm -hmm. in Wange and um, he was a, a kind of celeb lion, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he was killed by hunters. Um, there was a lot of controversy around the shooting, stories about whether it was legitimate or not. Mm. Um, and the fact that he was lured out by um, hunters from the national park. There are no fences around Wange, so they're free to roam. You can't actually shoot in the park, but you can shoot on the lands outside so still fully legal right i mean yeah. in, in, a, in an awful way this was a legal thing but the the, the character of the lion and his celebrity is what yeah. encouraged the story is that right yeah i mean if he was well known in life he was infamous in death because you Absolutely. know he, um it was jack kimnall i think in the u.s who said on his chat show you know he spoke about Sassel and said let's say let's show we're better than this and there were masses and masses of responses the Oxford University who were doing the research in Sassel um their website crashed Amazing. massive amount of money donated so obviously he hit um all the press and, and everything then and so Sassel's um, tree is just a tiny part of a, a phenomenal a legacy big story yeah, yeah. And, and we'd been there the year before looking, uh, the year after he died, sorry, looking for his cubs. Mm -hmm. And we thought, it, it was a bigger story. It was about the legacy after Cecil and also the fact that Zim was coming up in photographic tourism, yeah. more lodges opening and um, what conservation work was going on. And it took us ages to find these cubs. <laughs> and we really thought we weren't going to find them because the mother had had a collar, but um, that had gone and um, we searched for three whole days and on our very last drive, we found them just lying by the road. And uh, that, that's in the story as well, but it, we just stayed with them for five hours because they weren't going to go anywhere because it was the heat of the day. Um, and it was, it was great, just Amazing. a brilliant experience. That's phenomenal. So it's, uh, that's in issue two of Journey Magazine, folks. You can read all about Sue's story on the Elephant Express and uh kind of following cecil's cubs past past his tree for like i say just a tiny tiny part of a, a phenomenal 
legacy of a of a well-loved lion so let's talk a little bit about the future what are your next trips or stories what are your plans maybe for the rest of the year any big trips or any big projects coming up um i've been i've kind of since lockdown i've cut down a little bit on the travels I think we all have right yeah yeah and I, I'm, I'm one of those people that actually quite <laughs> locked down actually <laughs> but um you know much to the annoyance and you know perhaps it's not the right thing to say with the issues that went on but um our first trip back was to Botswana in um March which was lovely and then to Zimbabwe just now and we should have been going to Guinea-Bissau in oh, wow. um two weeks time but they've had really bad storms like the rest of the planet it seems mm, is in sure. a storm season um so the hotel's been damaged the lodge oh, where we're sure. meant to be staying so that's been put back to november so that will probably be the last trip this year do you need to um, sell well, fingers crossed it all recovers quickly yeah yeah i think it will they're, they're pretty optimistic it'll be fine um Fantastic. but you know it's a country that tourism is very much under the radar um, I've not been there before, so it would be fascinating. And I'd love to explore more of West Africa. We, we went to Sierra Leone a few years back, which I loved. Wow. Um, and I think it's Guinea-Bissau is going to be so interesting as an archipelago of 88 islands, which is a UNESCO biosphere reserve. Amazing. Um, you know, very few people have even heard of the country, let alone of the course, archipelago. Right. So, yeah, Guinea-Bissau. For you know, the, I think it's absolutely. A, a, people have maybe heard of equatorial guinea or i guess papua new guinea which is completely unrelated mm. but guinea bissau is really not on the radar that sounds like a fascinating trip yeah yeah i'm looking forward to that so. fantastic and so you've obviously had a, a phenomenal career perhaps you might have some tips or advice for people starting out in the industry people who want to write more about conservation or people who want to write more about africa any tips um i would say develop a thick skin um, <laughs> absolutely the difficulty with Africa is that it's a small market in terms of outgoing tourism from yes, the UK definitely. and from the States as well, if you're looking at American writing, although they're probably proportionally more. Um, it's a bigger market, perhaps. Definitely. More people, right? But Yeah. Um, but I think, so it means that the chances for commissions are fewer. Mm -hmm. um, there are you know, most people, as you know, go to Italy, Spain, Greece, France, and the US. Of course. If they're from the UK. So you have to be prepared for a lot of knockbacks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's okay. It's, you know, you get used to it. And I would say the most important thing, as with any destination or any travel writing, is to network like mad. You know, go meet people. Definitely. Go to travel shows go to fairs or, or whatever just to get yourself known join the guild british guild of travel writers Yay, the guild bgtw.org folks thank you for that plug sue that was unexpected oh, it's, it's <laughs> not that it really matters to me i'm not the you know i'm not the chair anymore i don't <laughs> care no of course i care very much about the guild it's a it's a wonderful uh wonderful uh, society folks bgtw.org sorry to cut in there Sue. yeah no no it's fine i mean i was just gonna say it, being a travel writer is actually quite an isolating Absolutely. job at times isn't it you know you, you're in your own little cocoon sometimes mm. and so it's great to share that with other people definitely um and i found the guild has been brilliant for that um the other thing i would say is be the writer that you would want to work with so file on time brilliant. 
give nice clean copy, really take care in your work so it doesn't need much editing um, or open questions that editors will come back to you on. And, you know, just, just take care of what you do and write about what you're passionate about, you know. Fantastic. Um, sometimes, obviously, not everyone can afford to do that. You, you've got to pitch and work like mad as a travel writer in, in many cases. So, but if you can do it, then do that. Fantastic. I think we're just about wending our way towards the end of this conversation, Sue, but perhaps you could finish by telling telling the people how they can find you online or social media, where, uh, you know, what's your, your handles, as it were? Um, okay, I'm not very social on social media. <laughs> Likewise, so. I'm terrible. But for the benefit of the record, let's say. Yeah, so I'm only on Twitter. And that's um, at Sue Watt UK. Um, and all my stuff goes up there. My website has got a big portfolio page with all my articles in as well, which is uh, suewatt.co.uk. But I'm not on Facebook and I'm not on Instagram. And that's I kind of don't blame you. There's a lot of... Uh... <laughs> A lot of things that people can be on nowadays, aren't there? But, uh, you know, if you do a few things perfectly, you don't need to do too many more things, right? And it sounds like it's all going rather well for you, Sue. Well, fingers crossed it stays that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed indeed. Fantastic. I think that's just about all we have time for. You've been listening to Sue Watt. Thank you so much for joining us, Sue. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Journey Podcast, which is available at journeymag.com. That's J-R-N-Y-M-A-G.com or wherever you usually access your podcasts. I'm Sai Wilmore, and thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.